This is CliffCentral.com. It's Wednesday, and yet again, it's Pume Majoko on your dial, and we're doing Womanda. And today, we're having a serious conversation. We're having a serious conversation that affects, when I read the statistic, it was so shocking for me because every time I look at a statistic and it says percentages, I like to think of it, if I knew 10 women, that up to four Four in ten women suffer from this condition. Fibroids. If you are like me and addicted to being Mary Jane, you've seen Mary Jane. You've heard her talk about it. She had a whole season where she was going through the trauma and the drama. And I think any girl who's been through it knows the trauma, knows the drama. So as we do, we get in the experts. I've got a gorgeous doctor here in front of me (laughs) who is only in Joburg. Once or twice a I wish month. Wish they could see me blushing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, these girls are very kind. These girls are very kind. I've got Doctor Gary, so, and I had to ask him a couple of times of how I say his his last name, and I'm still not confident enough. So, Sadwats is fine. Doctor Gary is what we're going to call him today. Doctor Gary is perfect. Doctor Gary, thanks for coming in. Thank you for thank chatting you, Pumi. Thanks for this. inviting me. Particularly after you, you'll see him on the internet. You'll see him is in his grubs. He's been in a whole day of surgery. Yeah, I'm and very sweaty joking. and very smelly. Yeah. Oh, sweaty, gorgeous, <laughs> Doctor Min. Wow, <laughs> wow. He's just not stopping today. Gary, you're here. You practice out of Cape Town, but. Once a month, once a month or twice a month? Yeah, I, I'm based in Cape Town, but I spend a lot of time in Joburg because there's a lot of women with fibroids in Joburg. So let's talk about fibroids. I think we hear, there's a funny word. What, how do you say that funny word? Myoma. Lyomyoma. Lyomyoma. That's the word that doctors use to confuse the hell of a, <laughs> that's out right. of us. That's right. That's the <laughs> one that makes us feel very professional. When they say that word, I think when a woman hears that word, you're like, huh, I must be dying. Fibroids. Fibroids, yeah. What are fibroids and how does one get them? So fibroids are benign tumors. Uh, they don't metastasize. They are overgrowths of the normal muscle uh, of the uterus. So if you can imagine a swirl or a whirl of muscle and so- soft tissue and fibrous tissue that forms into these balls and they can be anything from you know a few millimeters in size up to 10, 20 centimeters in size. So this is a crazy statistic that between 20 and 40% of all women get fibroids. That is a crazy statistic. It's and a that huge number, yeah. Black women are more prone, up to three times more likely Absolutely. to get fibroids. Yeah. Where do they come from? How do you get them? So the answer to that question, unfortunately, is we don't know. That is the simple answer. But we do know, obviously, the genetic factors. And you're absolutely right. Uh, black African women, especially those uh, from West Africa, have a propensity towards fibroids. We're seeing these women have what we think is a more aggressive fibroids. So they're coming in much younger. They're coming in the early 20s. They've had multiple operations. They can't have babies. They're suffering greatly. Uh, it's quite different from the fibroids we're seeing in the Caucasian populations. They present a little bit older uh, in the mid-30s. So there's definitely a component that's uh, genetic. Um, but having said that, there's also a hormonal component. So you get fibroids after a few years. So young women don't have fibroids. And as uh, they progressively get older, the fibroids get bigger and bigger. Can you figure out 
that you've got fibroids and do something about it early? Or is it just one of those things that one day you, you know, can't handle the pain anymore and you just, it's hard to figure out? Well, I think uh, the answer to that is most women first find out they got fibroids when they go to the gynecologist. So they get examined by a gynecologist or, or they get an ultrasound. So they get an ultrasound maybe by a radiologist uh, because they've got abdominal pains or swelling or they go to a gynae who does a sonar. And that's when they find out uh, that they've got fibroids and that's when they start to do the research and, and the options start uh, getting presented to them. But what you, what you said is 100% right. Although a very large number of women have fibroids, not all of them need treatment. So a small-ish percentage, 20% of that 40% need some intervention. Do you want to check that? Yeah. Patients, uh, you- five patients in the ward right now. Uh, in Park Lane Hospital. So that's really why my phone is on. Mm. Uh, because they're all post anesthetic and have just had operations. So I need to. Uh, you need to be available. Available. This is the joy of being on Nun Radio because <laughs> you can keep your phone on. <laughs> if you exactly. need to take it, you can take it. 100%. But so not everybody needs treatment? So not everyone needs treatment. And uh, so, and not everyone, especially not everyone needs surgery. So. Uh, the range of complaints would determine what you need. So uh, many women would just have bad or difficult periods. Um, they may just need an iron supplement or pain medication while they're having their periods, may have, you know, a, a few paracetamol, some brufen, and that would be fine. They don't need anything more than that. Uh, but eventually uh, there is that group of women who are facing some intervention. So let's talk about the symptoms. What are the symptoms that should alert? I mean, the first thing I think every girl ever gets told, you have to go at least once a year. Like you go twice a year to see a dentist, once a year you have to go see a gynecologist, right? So we hear that. We don't normally do it. Yeah, you don't We don't normally do it because you're like, you know. Yeah. I think a lot of people go to the gynecologist eventually when they're having children or planning on having children. Absolutely. Or, you know, or when there's a problem. There's a problem. Absolutely. I mean, that'd be the vast majority of. So, speaking of the problem, what are the symptoms? What is it that you 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 should should worry about? You should kind of ring warning bells that says, hmm, maybe you should check this out. Well, we find obviously a lot of women are putting up with their symptoms for years and years and years before they're well, asking for treatment. Well, you say painful periods and I'm thinking, yeah. hey, that's just, you know. Absolutely. That's it's, so it's a normal period. Course. Absolutely. I mean, periods are painful. But the, you know, our type of patients are in bed because of their pain. They're not able to cope. They're not able to look after their families because of their pain. Um, they're taking large numbers of painkillers and uh, there's no reason for them to suffer. So that would be one symptom uh, of, of large fibroids. Another one would be very heavy periods. So how do you know your periods are heavy? Our women are coming in, you know, with clots falling out of them and they can't wear certain mm. types of clothes. They can't wear white clothes. Um, they're standing up to give a speech and literally blood is running down their legs. So, you know, they're suffering tremendously. Uh, they have to plan their entire life around whether their period is going to happen or not. Um, and so it's incredibly embarrassing, but it's also incredibly limiting. Um, and then part of that problem would be they're losing so much blood, they can't take in uh, enough iron. So they'll have weird cravings. I, I've had women uh, incredibly come to like, me. Like sand. <laughs> sand is, is, is the one that uh, we talk about in medical textbooks. But the one I found in South Africa is clay. Mm. So there are people selling clay on the side of the roads and there are women, very fancy women from very fancy areas in Johannesburg they're stopping by those clay merchants because they're eating it like chocolate 
They... Well, I say sand because that, I suppose, that the barrier for me, because that, that clay mm. that, you, that you call, it's, it's a very common thing. You yes. know, you grow up in the hood, in the township, you grow up and people sell just, clay. People, you eat it, you know, you have painful periods, and this is, this is what you eat, and it. And that's just a symptom of that craving. And you grow up that way. And it's so, so it's, it's, it, I didn't realize it until I started asking my patients, um, you know, how, how there is, uh, how they knew. And they, couldn't explain the traction that they had to clay. So they, it was smooth and it had a smell, an earthy smell that would just draw them. But what fundamentally it is, is the iron stores are so low. Ready like terracotta. <laughs> have you got a similar craving? Have you, do you know what I'm talking about? This is, but this is, this is the thing, you know, when we started having this conversation, yes. the, you were like explaining to me fibrous. I was just like, oh, this is a thing. You know, black women, we know this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> black women, we live with this. When, when you think about that and, and it's chalk. I don't know what the English word is actually. Now that you say it's clay, yeah. I'm not that you know, but that's, well, it's that's what like it is. It's almost like potter's clay. It's very soft yeah. and you can chop it up into little sort of bite sized chocolate sized yeah. chunks and women are eating large. Now that would cause constipation. I mean, and, and it has almost no nutritional value. But it satisfies it's that craving. But what, what fundamentally the problem is their iron stores are so low, the hemoglobin is so low, they can't walk upstairs. They're going to fall over because it's so low. So they're getting blood transfusions or iron supplements and so on. So if we can stop that bleeding, if we can, we can make their lives tremendously better. Um, and then another, another symptom would be just the pure bulk. Uh, fibroids can be the largest tumors in the body. They can be absolutely massive. And, and you can imagine they're pushing on the bladder. They're pushing on the rectum. Um, they can be a big tummy. They've got thin women with big tummies because they're just full of fibroids. Um, the Zulu word is umkaba. That's not fat. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> it's like, it's you know, the, the bloated tummy. Tummy. It's the big tummy. <laughs> it is. Umkaba, you know. So, so there's, there's a, a word that describes this condition. Well, look, I mean, the, 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 this bloated tummy yomkaba, it's just, it's a generic word for anybody with a, like a bloated tummy of any kind. Some of it could be It could be fibroids or anything else. It could be fibroids. <laughs> you know, it could be like excesses of life. <laughs> and does it require a sacrifice of a small animal? <laughs> not, not necessarily. No, it's just one of those things. It's the shame you live with. <laughs> So, so this is, and, and obviously the, the, a big, big thing, uh, African communities, all communities is fertility. Um, so, uh, infertility caused by fibroids. And we know that, uh, fibroids are an independent cause for infertility. There are many causes of infertility. The commonest would be things like, uh, sexually transmitted infections. But one of the most common causes is fibroids. And if you get rid of the fibroids, you improve fertility. And for a lot of African women, uh, this is almost a life or death situation. If they can't have children, they have no value uh, within the, their family or their society. And uh, the medical options are very, very limited for them to leave them with a functional uterus. So this is the question is how we can treat these fibroids better, leaving with women with a functional uterus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these are some of the symptoms. And when, when you talk about the symptoms and you, and I mean, we can joke about all the various little things, but for a lot of women, it's also quite a big source of embarrassment. Sure. And, and therefore, it's it's a very shameful experience. So it's hard to talk about it. It's yeah. hard to talk about it. It's hard to go out there and seek any kind of medical intervention. 
what what does one do? What do you do as a woman who who maybe you're listening and you hear all of these things and it sounds like you? What next? You know, do you just go to your GP and say, hey, hey, I think I've got fibroids, or do you? Can you only get treatment through a, a gynecologist? What do you tell them when you get there? I mean, a lot of people don't talk about it um, simply because there's just so much, so much of the of the shame of the. This is just another thing that women go through. That sure, there's there will, afraid to talk absolutely. About. I mean, there, there really isn't reason to suffer. Um, the a reality for most women in South Africa is access to healthcare is difficult uh, and expensive, and therefore. Uh, their their access base is, is usually through their local clinic or or their local doctor, their GP. Um, this is a gynecological problem. So the people who actually specialize in treating it are specialists uh, and specialist gynecologists. I myself am a radiologist. So when I talk to you, I talk to you from the perspective I'm not a gynecologist. So there's some things I'm not going to be able to comment on. I do a very, very specific procedure surround, uh, associated with fibroids. But I... There's certain parts of the treatment of fibroids which I do not uh, do. I would refer those patients to a gynecologist. So, talk to me about talk to me about options for treatment. You know, you spoke earlier about leaving women after treatment with a functional uterus. A lot of women are are also afraid to confront any kind of gynecological issues because of the fear that you will lose. Your uterus, or yes. the function of your yes. uterus, or you, it'll leave you um, barren infertile. or sure, absolutely. We don't like the word barren. Barren's not a good word. <laughs> we okay. don't like the word barren. <laughs> it just it sucks. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it is an emotive word. You're absolutely right. So the question is uh, the the options for treatment, and as we mentioned, most women would do very well with very basic treatment. Um, why should they suffer? Just decent pain medication, uh, supplementing their, their iron stores. Um, the, these are things that would make quite a big difference. Uh, and, and hormonal treatments, uh, things like um, birth control pills and intrauterine devices and that kind of thing. And these are gyneco- uh, one would get from one's gynecologist. There's a subgroup of women uh, where that doesn't work. And at that point, they're faced with a reality of some medical surgical intervention. And uh, for a lot of women, that's been a hysterectomy. So removal of the uterus, uh, whether it be open or closed, whatever, ultimately removal of the uterus. And so I'm going to stop you and ask about just the, the hysterectomy thing. I mean, this is a word you hear all of the time and you're never quite sure what it actually means you know is it like somebody goes in and rips out your uterus and then leaves you with the hole stitches you up what does that actually mean so if fibroids are on the muscle of the the uterus is it the muscle that gets stripped away or is it everything that gets there are various types of hysterectomy depending whether you leave the ovaries or you leave the cervix or you take out the entire and you do different procedures for different indications if you were doing a forensic cancer therapy you'd be a more aggressive uh, treatment for fibroids uh, often you can just take out the fibroids themselves leave the uterus behind uh, but having said that a lot of women i think are given the advice to remove the uterus after they've had children if they have children and they have fibroids and they have symptoms, a lot of people are giving them the advice 
to have a hysterectomy. And I think that would be incorrect. So uh, a hysterectomy is a very, very good procedure for the right indications. But for a fibroid treatment, symptomatic fibroid treatment, it would be an end choice uh, that once you've exhausted all your other options. At the moment in South Africa, it's one of the four uh, four choices. The What women are going through is people are saying to them, well, get rid of your uterus. And I think that would be incorrect. Once you've gotten rid of the fibroids, can they reoccur? Can they grow again? They absolutely can. So the, the issue with fibroids is there's seldom just one. And if there's five, there's probably ten more. And we know this because of better scanning techniques. So an ultrasound, which is what most women would have from their gynecologist, is a good cheap investigation, relatively cheap investigation, which doesn't have radiation. It's a fantastic test, but it has very limited uh, visual uh, capacity. Uh, an MRI, which is much more expensive and less available and so on, would show much smaller fibroids. So the answer to your question is when a gynecologist or surgeon goes in and removes the fibroids, they actually leave other ones behind, not because they're bad surgeons, but because they can't see or feel them. They're just too small. And those fibroids will continue to grow as women gets older. So the, so the direct answer to your question is women who've had what we call a myomectomy or removal of the fibroids often, in a very large percentage of cases, will need another procedure, either another myomectomy or a hysterectomy. Preventative measures. Can you prevent fibroids? I don't know a way to do that, unfortunately. Once you have been diagnosed with them, they progressively grow. And I don't know of any... Uh, um, food one could eat uh, to, to reduce them. Uh, there are hormonal treatments that can reduce them for short periods of time uh, because they induce a kind of a menopause, uh, but then that wouldn't be appropriate for long-term treatment. So this is not one of those things where you, when you're looking on the internet and it says eat turmeric. Yes. <laughs> this is not the thing that no, you solve with turmeric. Not going to work. Turmeric's not going to make a difference. So tell me about your treatment in particular. You, you've got a, a, an interesting alternative. Yes. Um, to what? We don't like the every, word alternative. We don't like the word alternative. <laughs> we, we, we'd, we'd see it as the first choice. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So there you go. The first choice that women should Really consider people should um, investigate further. You're, and you're one of how many? Uh, uh, Very few, a handful a few, of doctors handful that of, do it yeah, in South Africa. Yeah. But we do, we do a lot of procedures. So, so I do a procedure called a uterine fibroid embolization or uterine artery embolization. There's a lot of fancy words. Which you, you must tell me. So, this is a tangent and yes. aside. Why do doctors use such big words? Well, to confuse you. Okay, um, and to charge more. I, I, I see you. I just want you to know. I see through this. What? The whole time I'm reading about this, I'm just like every second word is this long, big word, and you know, being Latin a girl, and Greek I'm thinking and these people are just—they're full of nonsense. Okay, I'm sure there's an easier way to say this. So what? What exactly does that? What does exactly? Well, what? What? what, what so what, what, okay, so we're so you're trying to. You, that's the easy bit. Okay, archery. Is because we're in the arteries and the embolization is that's the the big word. So the embolization is basically a blockage of the arteries. Mm-hmm. Um, so an embolus, a pulmonary like embolus, an embolus, a pulmonary embolus, or a blood clutter in your in in your uh, veins in your um, 
in your lung. So uh, what we actually do is we create a clot uh, by choice. This is the this is how you treat them. And what we do is we effectively clot off the blood supply that goes to the fibroids, which kind of makes sense if you think. So what we do is if we block the nutrient supply to the tumor, it's going to die. And when it dies, it shrinks. And when it shrinks, it doesn't cause the problems that it caused before. So it's quite an elegant solution. Does it shrink and disappear or does it just shrink and become smaller and will never grow again? In most cases, it doesn't disappear. It simply shrinks. But it's dead tissue, so it's not metabolically active. So it doesn't draw blood into it it, and it doesn't grow. Um, And that shrinkage is more than enough to remove the symptoms. And that's what we're really interested in is whether they're fibroids there or not, or you can see a fibroid on a scan, are you better? Does your life get better? And that's, and, and the direct answer to that is yes. So that would take away the pain. It would take away the heavy bleeding. It would take away the swelling of the tummy. It would Absolutely. take away umkaba. 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 <laughs> the thing that takes away umkaba. <laughs> this is a good one. Believe me. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth investigating. <laughs> It means you can't wear bikinis. I mean, it's like <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and and so it would take away all of those symptoms. Yes. Is it surgery? So is it surgery? Well, um, in my book, I think I would define it as surgery. But what do you think? Surgery is an open cut. So surgery is where someone cuts you open, and there's lots of flights and uh, people in blue and you know covered in masks and stuff. That, that, so, so the answer, uh, the direct answer is yes, it is surgery, but it's what we call microinvasive surgery. So we do it all, th- not not even keyhole surgery. We do it all through a tiny little hole, like a two millimeter incision in the leg, which is funny because why are we going the leg? The, we go into the leg because the bigger artery in the leg, and it gives us access to all the arteries in the body. So through that artery in the leg, uh, we make a tiny little hole, and uh, we put uh, small little wires and and tubes. And those tubes will pass into the arteries in the uterus. So talk me through the process. Talk me through the process. Um, if I were your patient, I've agreed to do this small surgery, right? Yes. Um, when I walk into the hospital, what next? So what happens by the time you walk into the hospital, we've done a whole lot of tests on you. We want to know that you have fibroids. We want to know that the treatment that we do is going to work on you. We want to know that we're not, you're not dealing with a cancer of the cervix or uh, endometriosis or a whole range of conditions that uh, might give you similar symptoms but aren't going to respond to the embolization. So this is a very selected group of people. So you would have then have seen a gynecologist and the gynecologist would work for you. So although we would refer you to one of our panel of gynecologists, they are independent. So they say, look, I don't think it's a good idea. I think this is, or we think it's a good idea. And you'd also have gone through a process of payment. So the payment would be, you don't want to, you've got medical aid uh, and medical aids pay less and less these days. You want to know exactly what it is. Doesn't that, that rides me, but that's a topic for another day. Sure. That rides me, the medical aid paying less and less and the fact that you've got your like pre-clearance or whatever thing Absolutely. it is before you, you go into the exactly hospital. You want to know exactly what it is before you go. Yeah. And, and thankfully, look, we charge medical aid rates, uh, which is seriously rare. I don't think there's. 
very many doctors left in the country who do Definitely that. Definitely no specialists. <laughs> no specialists. So we, we are trying to keep it as open as possible. We, we charge the medical aid rate um, and you would get pre-authorization. So you know exactly what you're in for uh, before before you go in. Once you get to the hospital, you would go through to, to the ward and uh, there we would um, – You'd have your uh, basic test, your blood pressure and your temperature and that kind of stuff done. Uh, and we'd put in a catheter. And so that, that's, that's a bit of a horrible experience, isn't it? First, um, first before yeah. that horrible experience, first you get that awfully amazing piece of garment. Yes, the back to front robe. <laughs> that, that, the one with the hole in the back. The one with the hole in the back that leaves you like partially uh, exposed in your totally exposed. Absolutely. So you're lying there. Totally exposed, and uh, and then someone invades you with another with another pipe, and well, the the thing about that pipe is that um, it's there to clear your bladder while we do the procedure, because we use a special dye that goes into the arteries of your of your body and gets excreted by your kidneys, and so it accumulates in your bladder. As you as uh, the procedure goes on, your bladder gets fuller and fuller with this dark dye, and I can't actually see the uterus. So it just continuously empties the uterus. It also means that for the short period of time after the operation, when you've got a little hole in your leg and you can't go walk to the toilet, you don't have to ask for a bedpan. So it's quite nice to have that the you know bladder just emptying by itself. Um, and then uh, you uh, meet myself and my team, and we would. Uh, discuss all, you know, any further questions that you might have, and then we'll take you through to theatre. Uh, once you're in theatre, you pretty much just go to sleep and wake up and it's done. There's no tube in your How throat. How long? How long are you done? How long are you done? How long are you down? How long are you out? Half an hour, 40 minutes. Okay. Uh, and the, yeah, uh, over in, in, I mean, you pretty much go to sleep, wake up, and you're done. And then you go back to the ward. It is quite painful because remember what we do is block off the blood supply to those fibroids. The fibroids now have, um, are, are white. It's almost like blocking off the blood supply to your leg. You'd have a very sore leg very quickly. Like pins and needles. Pins and needles, but only worse. Only worse. So in, imagine in the worst period pain that you've had like that, except I'm going to give you morphine. So that were, oh, so there, there's a bonus. Okay. So that's quite, you never usually there's have morphine. Here. <laughs> there's, there's that's exactly there. how painful this thing is. You actually get morphine. You actually get some morphine. And then, how long? How mm, long does this pain last? It's really just for the first day. Okay. Um, while the uterus is recruiting new blood vessels, uh, it's a sore sort of deep pelvic pain. And then the next day, 100%. Most women go home the very next day. So now this is compared to the very next day, day two, day one. Uh, so day zero would be the procedure. Day one would be the the day you the go day home. home yeah. And then what kind of? How long are you out of circulation for? You can't go back to work for a week. Uh, a week. I, I would say within ten days you're pretty much at a hundred percent, which is vastly different from a hysterectomy. So hysterectomy is about a three four day hospital stay and six weeks off work. Um, so this is vastly different recovery time. The other advantage would be much less complications. Now, this this is always one of the things. What's the worst thing that could happen to thing? you? Oh, the list is hugely long. <laughs> so the so the reality is that there's always risk, and if, if the risk is do, the risk versus doing something or doing nothing. So uh, all of our patients have come to a point when they can't do nothing anymore, and so there is some risk associated with the procedure. The um, risks 
range of things from infection uh, to you know uh, clots in the lungs, pulmonary embolus, and DVTs and that kind of thing. Um, uh, not being able to get into the arteries and it, and it not actually working. So there's a whole range of conditions that could happen. Um, but having said that, this because it's such a relatively small operation with such a small invasion, the uh, there's very little that can go wrong. Uh, in that sense. So it's not that we are geniuses, it's because it's a small procedure. So a bigger procedure like a hysterectomy will have more complications. Mm. So things can go wrong, but what's the percentage of this works? In, so in, in your experience over the past couple of years that you've been doing this, what's your ex- what's Well, I must say that I do a lot of radiology procedures, um, including uh, uterine artery embolization. I embolize you know, kidneys and livers and lungs and all sorts of things. The letters I get from the women that I've treated are just phenomenal. The lives that we've changed with this procedure is, is just mind-boggling. So I haven't seen it in any other procedure where we get this level of gratitude. I mean, Everyone has a difficult life. Everyone has, you know, kids to look after and jobs to do. But the time to actually write a letter to their doctor uh, isn't that common. And we get a phenomenal response. So the answer to your question is how many get better? It's in the late 90s uh, percent. You know, it, it really is a, a large number of women. It depends, though, on what the problem is. So if the problem is bleeding, uh, then it's very, very uh, common for women to be incredibly happy. If the problem is massive bulk, well, there's a limit. I mean, I've got women coming to me with like 36 week pregnant uteruses. I mean, their, their uterus is up to their livers. That's just below their rib cage. Now there's a limit to what I could do with that in terms of shrinkage. So if she's got your swollen tummy, um, you know, I can get it down a bit. I can't get it down all the way. So we've got to limit expectations in some ways, but the vast majority of women who've had this procedure is incredibly happy. And is this something that you can do in tandem with something else? So, for instance, you go in to to have an embolization. Yeah. Embolization. Yeah, you see, not only is English not my first language, I'm this doctor speaks. Doctor speak, <laughs> but could you go in and have an embolization? Say, for instance, your problem is that this bulk, you know, so your uterus has swollen yes. to a particular size. Yes. So you could go in, have an embolization, and at the same time, um, a, a scrape, you know. Yes, it's a very good a question. Surgery to yeah, bring absolutely. down the size of. So you're asking a very good question, and it's something we're working on very hard at the moment. Is how we combine our procedure with traditional gynecological procedures. So where we would do an embolization combined with a myomectomy, and what kind of uterus are we leaving? So uh, the answer to that is it makes a myomectomy much technically easier. It obviously doubles the expense. So this is something we negotiate directly with the medical aids and not all of them are very happy with it because it's new. But if we can leave women with a great uterus, so they, so the gynecologist is able to take out fibers that they couldn't previously take out or they can even leave some behind because they're already embolized and they can concentrate on, let's say, the ones inside the cavity. This leaves them with a lot more options in terms of uh, leaving women with a functional uterus that can then carry a baby. And tell me about... Um a double um, diagnosis. Is it possible that what is wrong, so you've got, perhaps you've got fibroids yes. on the one side, but also you've got ovarian cysts. Yeah. And and so the 
you know the bleeding the pain that is is actually what's con- yeah what amount is 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 related to the fire look you can have multiple diagnoses so i mean you can have as many you know you can have cancer of the cervix and fibroids i mean both incredibly common uh, conditions and so we've got to be very certain uh, that it's the fibroids that cause your problem the the other question uh, some uh, women would like to know is is it cancer so you can have cancer in the uterus. You can have cancer in uh, the lining of the uterus. And the advantage of a hysterectomy or myomectomy is you take that tumor out. The and entire you s- organ. Take it out and send it to the lab, and the lab comes back and says, no cancer. Um, we don't do that. So we the uh, it's a risk-benefit ratio. So we accept that there will be a certain number we will miss. and But for the vast benefit so if one was to say, I want to remove all breast cancer on earth, you'd remove every woman's breast. But that would be an unreasonable approach. I to, know, it would to make so many men unhappy. <laughs> it would make men very, very unhappy. <laughs> oh, that's absolutely true. <laughs> we deal in truth here. We are on radio. So We're right. speaking. <laughs> that, is, that is the direct truth. So so the, the answer is one shouldn't just take out stuff because of a risk, unless it is very risky. So women with high risk, uh, breast cancer may choose to have a mastectomy. That'd be appropriate. Now, some women just want to know. Uh, they want to know there may be cancer there. They want it out. And then a myomectomy or hysterectomy would be a better option. This is a, uh, a conscious decision that in most cases it will not be cancer and therefore the less invasive option is appropriate and you can always go back if it doesn't respond and do the more invasive option. So what about Dr. Gary Sudditz? How long have you been doing this? So I uh, trained as a radiologist at uh, Baragwanath and I... Best w- teaching hospital in the world. Best ever. I, I mean, I I was so scared when I first got the job. I was in London. I was on uh, I was in Great Ormond Street Hospital and I did an interview on the phone. I, I slipped out of the wardrobe and did an interview and they said, you got the job. And I packed up in six weeks and I drove into Soweto the first time in my life. And I thought I needed an armored car. And I stayed for seven years. It was absolutely brilliant. And what happened at Barra was that we just, because there's so much need, uh, we could just do incredible things. And I realized that there is a, such a massive demand because women have so many fibroids. The waiting list is so long for myomectomy or for hysterectomy in Soweto that there's actually this, this huge number of women that need a procedure. At that same time, medical aids in South Africa started to say, okay, we're happy to pay for it. And the science behind the procedure developed more and more. So there's this vast number of women overseas who've been followed. I mean, talking the hundreds of thousands have been followed over 20 years and have had amazing results. So it was this combination of things. When I went to Cape Town to Khrushchev Hospital, again, uh, the demand just astounded me. And I realized that this is something that I should be doing full time. And uh, so I put it out there that I can do this procedure and the support has been incredible. And so that's what effectively happens is women... Uh, look me up on the internet or find an article or something, call me and say, look, we want to have this done. I then refer them to gynecologist and then we book the procedure. How many procedures in a day do you do? In a day? I'll do up to eight. Uh, eight will be a long day. 
Um, because remember, you've got to get women in and out and recovery and so on. Uh, after that, I start to get really tired. <laughs> I can imagine on your feet for eight hours. That's incredible. Uh, no, yeah, that's about a 12 hour day. Jeez. And, and tell me, for you, when you started doing this procedure, I mean, you, you are a radiologist, so you do quite a lot of different types yes. of uh, radiology treatments. Yes. So it's not just uterine no. that you work on. Yeah. Why was it so important to you that you, you work on this particular procedure and to a large extent pioneer it in South Africa? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, one of, one was demand, uh, and, uh, that there were so many, and then the other was the response. I mean, just the fact that these women have no other choice. Um, a second myomectomy is a very dangerous. So many of my patients have had a previous myomectomy. And what happens is the bowel, but there's a big inflammatory response when uh, a woman has a, a myomectomy. So um, th- there are a lot of what we call adhesions. The bowel gets stuck down. It becomes a technically very difficult procedure to do a second myomectomy. So these women go through, you know, and, and so therefore they have complications, bowel perforations and ureteric injuries and all sorts of horrible things can happen because it's a, a difficult procedure. They have few options. And when, uh, so, so the feedback I was getting from these patients was, was incredible. Um, and you're right. I do enjoy keeping, uh, you know, a, an interesting variety of procedures and I, and I have good fun in the liver and the lungs and all those sorts of other places. But I must say that the, the, the joy I'm getting from, from this technique is fantastic. What kind of responses have you received? You know, I mean, I, I can tell every time you talk about the responses yeah. you receive that it's an emotional connection that, yeah, that, absolutely. You, that you've got with the responses. For you, the, the response that tops them all. Oh, my goodness. Um, I've, I had one woman scream, I can wear white. That was... <laughs> <laughs> that for me was quite something. She, I mean, she literally was just, I can wear white. And that, that was, that was her thing. I've had, uh, one woman who, um, she was literally in bed for four days of every month. Um, her, her, it was difficult for her marriage. She'd have to plan everything around her period because she was literally bed bound. That was a condition called adenomyosis. Um, not a fibroid. This is a condition whereby the lining of the uterus that sheds every month grows into the muscle of the uterus. And again, incredibly common, uh, and often found with fibroids. And these women have horrendous, so you can imagine that the, the hormonally sensitive cells then bleed and swell every month inside the muscle of the uterus. They get little bleeds inside the uterus. Um, and she was, she was effectively bound by this condition. She used two panados last month. I mean, for her, that is just incredible um, to only use two panels. I mean, she was using very, very heavy drugs uh, for years. And so that, that, that's really rewarding. And being a father to a girl yes. yourself, yeah. <laughs> what, looking into the future, what would you like every young woman to know about the condition of fibroids and what to look out for? Look, I think I'm seeing it already. I, I think uh, the reason why I'm doing so many procedures and the reason why we're talking today is because women are empowered to find their own information. So there are a large number of women that listen to you because they want to hear what you've got to say. And that's what we're seeing. So we're seeing this self-empowerment. 
people are looking out for their choices and then they're doing the research and then they'll go to the professional and they'll say, what do you think of this? Is it a good idea or a bad idea? But they're challenging us. Um, and that's, and that's awesome. Mm. Look, I think the, the thing about all the access to information that we have is there's also quite a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of nonsense out there too. So <laughs> what should, what should women be looking out for? Um, that should sound a warning bell to them as they're looking at research. I mean, we've already covered that it's not going to be a turmeric. It's not going to be superfood. Oh, I must say, I see a lot of that in the internet. Buy this pill and it will go away. And, you know, I, in two weeks, I saw all sorts absolutely. of things. I saw a thing about the fact that relaxers, um, are part of the reason why black women are more prone to have fibroids yes. because of the chemicals in relaxers. And I was like, that's such bullshit. No, that's and, you know, and, but, but really and truly, what is, what is some of the, the misinformation or misguided information that patients walk into your office with? Yeah. Um, that you feel if there was just two things that every woman should know about fibroids that's out there, but is not true. Oof. Uh, that's a freaking difficult. <laughs> there's so much. I, th- I think <laughs> well, the okay, reality is, <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard. I, I think the biggest barrier is, um, is there's a big barrier to colleagues because medicine moves very quickly. Uh, information, uh, moves very quickly and, uh, people are malinformed. And it's not that they're malicious. It's just they don't have the latest information. So, so women are going to the gynecologists and they're getting information that their fibroids are too big or they're in the wrong location or they won't respond or you can't have it if you want to get pregnant. Um, and that's all completely nonsense. Um, it might have been true five or ten years ago when we were doing trials and we were saying, look, if you want to get pregnant, we don't really want to do this experimental thing on you. And that's correct. But at this stage, it's now been found untrue. So I think there's a lot of old information out there. But that's that's just, uh, you know, and I guess that's what the internet does. It doesn't always sift out uh, the old from the new. So you, you read these things and it's, and it's kind of scary. Uh, so you really need to go to someone who is up to date, who does, uh, does keep that, uh, themselves aware of the latest stuff. But having said that, I, th- I, I think it's fantastic that all this information is out there. And when you get that diagnosis of fibroids, you land up voraciously reading everything you can see on Google and you become an expert on fibroids overnight. Uh, you may know more about them than your gynecologist. Um, and, and you're going to change them. And I think that's fantastically empowering. To be empowered. I think that's one of the things that we're all about here on Womanla. It's important that you're empowered and that you have have the knowledge and are not afraid to ask the questions. I think one Absolutely. of the that's why you doctors must stop using the big words. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> stop it with the big words. I'll try, I'll try <laughs> stop with the big words. Because the big words are intimidating. And I think mm. even even when you've read Plain speech. up Absolutely. about it, the it, there's just the, they are just those so doctors just that cannot barrier. talk to you about anything that you Absolutely understand, and every big word that comes at you is one less decision that you are able to be in control of. A hundred percent right. But I, I think I'm very glad. I'm very glad you came and had a chat with us. You've got a very interesting website. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, Fibroids.co.za. Yes. Where you can get hold of Doctor um, Gary. Thank you. You can call him. You can call his office. Absolutely, He's in Joburg. Yeah. He's in Cape Town, and he is. He's available. Thank you very much for coming Thank through. Thank you for this. One last Thank thing. You. So, r- one last thing before I let you go. The most important thing, walking into hearing that you've got a diagnosis of fibroids, what is the thing that every girl 
should not forget. They've got choices and they shouldn't be afraid and they need to make a decision. They need to make a decision for their health um, and not delay treatments. I think a lot of women just say, okay, I'll wait and I'll wait. And when they get bigger and bigger and bigger, they're harder to treat. Um, and there's no reason for them to suffer. Why should they be uh, eating clay? I mean, that's just crazy. So I, I want them to, to feel uh, not scared, uh, not scared of the doctors, not scared of their options, uh, to gather it together. And there are incredibly uh, useful treatments uh, that will give them fantastic durable relief and change their lives. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Dr. Gary, for coming through. Thank the you. Websites again, www.fibroids. That's I got right. right. <laughs> Dr. Gary, and he's got a fantastic alternative because, sister, you've got a choice. So if you've got, if you, if you recognize yourself in any one of the symptoms or any of your girlfriends, pass the information on. You've been tuned in to Womandla and I'm Pumemashekho. We'll see you next week. This is cliffcentral.com.